Hey, this is Andrew from the Medical Money Podcast. Here we share tips and tactics to help doctors earn, grow, and protect their money. Please share it with your colleagues. Today's podcast is about managing your personal and business cash flow in a COVID crisis and impending recession. My guest is Yves Schuf. Yves is a specialist financial advisor for doctors and dentists. He's managing director at Affluence Private Wealth and helps doctors take control of their money and achieve financial freedom. At the time of recording, March 30, Australia is on the verge of going into lockdown as the world struggles to defend itself against the virus. Many doctors have seen a significant reduction in their income. In today's podcast, we discuss ways that doctors can optimize their cash flow and ensure they survive. We cover ways to reduce your household outflows and manage your business expenses. Today's information is relevant whether you're in public or private practice. This podcast is not financial advice and all opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own. Please seek professional advice before making any financial or investment decision. Eves, welcome and thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. How are things with you? Uh, well, hello, Andrew, and yeah, thank you for uh, this interview today. Um, look, look like everyone else, I guess, working from home. Uh, the entire team's working from home. Uh, kids are being homeschooled. Uh, I'm obviously incredibly busy at the moment, just taking calls and emails from, from clients who are really concerned. Um, so I'm just trying to do my best, I guess, to get to everyone as quickly as possible and, and just give them relevant advice in, in this difficult time. So let me set the scene. In November, you posted on LinkedIn some advice. You wrote, focus on your cash flow. Can you increase your income or reduce your expenses? Where focus goes, results follow. And cash flow is the most important financial variable you need to control. Right now, most doctors are already seeing a significant reduction in income. So I'd like to get your insights into how doctors can improve cash flow in their home and business. How do you define cash flow? And what are some of the common problems facing your clients? Um, well, first of all, you know the, the most common problem I guess we're seeing today with with doctors and dentists uh, and uh, other healthcare clients is if you're in private practice, then your your income might have suddenly stopped or significantly reduced. So I think the first thing is is a shock, you know, and and I never expected this to happen as well. Uh, working with doctors and dentists, you, you would think your your income is secure in any type of economic situation but i guess what we're facing today is an unprecedented medical or clinical situation which has economic ramifications that we could have never foreseen uh, for people in the healthcare industry which is you know typically considered a very very safe profession from from an income and employment point of view so i think it's first of all recognizing that shock uh, and and people uh, being in that situation, I guess there's a few things you should do. So if you have advisors, particularly your accountant or financial financial planner or a finance broker, is, is to uh, immediately look at all your options. So I have a lot of clients doing information gathering in relation to their cash flow, because if income stops, you know typically your expenses will continue. Uh, so it's a matter of understanding what your options are with regards to loan repayments, um, tax obligations, uh, staff obligations, rent, those sorts of things. Uh, and to really get a, a clear idea of what can be deferred or, or hibernated, as, as they call it uh, in, in this situation. 
<clears throat> sorry, and then to to look at your personal cash flow as well, and and understand what what options you have there um, as well. That's excellent. Let's talk first about um, household cash flow. What are the biggest home expenses that doctors face, and what are some of the steps they can take to deal with them? Uh, look, I, I think in in this situation, um, you know, the, the most important thing to look at would be the mortgage, uh, because unfortunately, uh, a lot of uh, doctors have typically fairly high mortgages. So even though interest rates have come down a fair amount, uh, you know, the mortgage repayments would still make up uh, a fairly big percentage of ongoing monthly commitments. So most banks or pretty much every bank has come out uh, and said that you can defer your mortgage payments for up to three months or six months. Uh, so not saying that you should do that, but I think you should consider that option. Um, you know, things like school fees, are obviously non-negotiable. And, and I haven't heard about any schools uh, suspending their, their fees, even though obviously uh, all the education is happening online nowadays. Uh, that would be a big cost. Uh, insurances, obviously, things like your medical indemnity, uh, your your income protection, life insurance. Um, you would argue that those are non-negotiable as well and that you will have to keep paying those. Now, there is some, uh, some talk about or some pressure on life insurance companies to perhaps uh, provide some, some payment holidays there as well or deferral of, of payment options. Uh, so it, we're just waiting to see what's going to happen there. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, I think, which makes up a really big uh, percentage of people's cash flow is just discretionary expenditure. Things like going out, clothing, um, holidays, cars. Um, obviously, some of those things will, in, will be impossible anyway because we're, we're all essentially in lockdown. But I think now would be a really good time to, to sit down as a family uh, or as a couple or an individual and, and look at your expenditure and, and basically start to map out what is really important to you. you know, what, what do you value about your life? What is really critical? Uh, and then accordingly see whether you're actually spending in those areas or, or perhaps that you're spending in other areas that are not as relevant. You talked about insurance and medical indemnity. That's just uh, triggered me in my mind to look at whether I need to lower my um, billing sure. cover yeah. given the uh, planned decrease uh, yes. uh, earnings in this financial year. The other one was um, health insurance. That's often quite a large proportion of people's uh, monthly expenses. What are the things that people can do regarding their health insurance to reduce their premiums? Well, I think it's really important there that as your your family situation has changed over time, perhaps you, you haven't kept an eye on, on what you covered for. For example, uh, you know, your family may be complete and you're, you're no longer planning to have any more children. Uh, well, you know, a lot of policies would have inbuilt maternity cover, which makes the policy more expensive. So I think just making sure that you've got the right level of cover for your family uh, and, you know, Sometimes you might be able to reduce your cover, for example, but sometimes you, you may even need to increase it. But the main thing uh, I think there is that you don't cancel your, your private health insurance because obviously otherwise you'll, you'll more than likely be hit with the uh, Medicare levy surcharge, which is often more expensive than, than actual, the actual policy itself. Yeah. As far as you know, is there anything people can do about car repayments or uh, car loans? 
Look, I haven't uh, had any particular notifications about that, but I would imagine um, that if you know mortgages are being able to be refer deferred, uh, business loans are able to be deferred, then I would imagine car loans would fall under that same category, particularly, obviously, if it's through some sort of business loan, which uh, a lot of doctors would typically do. Um, so I think there as well it does make sense to explore all of those options uh, and then sit down with your accountant uh, and and see and your financial planner and, and see which one of those if any will be relevant yeah it's interesting you mentioned discretionary spending i cancelled about six trips both combination of business and uh, pleasure over the next six months with nothing planned for the rest of the year and it's amazing how that was almost like a cash injection or at least a, a credit injection on my um asset balance sheet because of uh, the lack of travel yeah unfortunately we, we have uh, had a lot of clients that have had to cancel their their conferences as well and you know unfortunately sometimes those um those fees and tickets are non-refundable uh, so i think the the harsh reality for a lot of people will be that they they might have already spent that money uh, but may not be able to claim that back but hopefully in some cases um you you will get get some of that back yeah. On discretionary spending, there's a B word that I hate. What are your thoughts on budgeting? Look, I, I don't particularly like it either. Uh, and I know a lot of clients don't like it either. Um, and, and I should clarify that budgeting for me uh, is synonymous with, um, you know, uh, being really uh, micromanaging your expenses. So how much do I spend on coffee? How much do I spend uh, on, on holidays, how much do I spend on, on pay TV and associated um, you know, apps and things like that. So I, I don't particularly believe in that because I, I think that that works in a really constraining way and, and, and that's why people don't like it. So I think what, what is more um, positive and a better way to look at it is, is like I said before, so to, to sit down as a family and basically map out, okay, well, what is really important to us as a family and that could be spending time together it could be financial independence uh, it could be funding school fees as as the highest priority uh, for the children so I, I think you need to go through that hierarchy of of values as a family uh, and then basically match your your spending or your saving towards those goals and then if you look after those most important goals first by way of automating your cash flow and, and setting up savings plans or higher mortgage repayments, uh, I think what you'll find is then obviously you, you're funding what, what is most relevant and most important to you first. And then whatever is left uh, becomes your discretionary expenditure. And we find that when people get into that mindset and, and understand that you know, their savings habits are directly correlated to achieving their financial goals and their family goals, they become a lot more motivated and a lot more engaged with how they spend their money. And, and more importantly, start to really think about um, you know, whether they really need to spend money in certain areas before they actually go ahead and do it. Yeah, it's it's like it's important to have a scoreboard, like with any kind of sporting game, to be able to know, you know, whether you're winning or whether you're losing. Uh, what are some ways that doctors can effectively track their household spending? Look, there's different different apps and and uh, software available nowadays. Um, you know, if if you Google, uh, you know, budget tracker or 
or something like that. You know, there's there's hundreds of different options, and each one is slightly different. Uh, we use a system called My Prosperity, uh, which allows you to not only track your uh, your income and your expenses, uh, but also your asset values, such as your your property, your bank accounts, your super, and so it's all consolidated into the one app. Uh, so that that works really well for us. But you know, if you're not using that through your accountant or financial uh, planner, there's programs like MoneySoft. Um, you know, there's an app called PocketBook and, and various other ones. Um, but like I said, I, I'd probably only resort to that micro managing of expenses. If if you consistently blow your budget, um, you know that we would have said in in that first instance where you identify what's really important to you and then you know set a budget for for discretionary expenditure. If you find you're constantly blowing that on a month to month basis, then then I think it does become more critical to to actually understand where you are spending too much, and that's I think where some of these apps can can be really useful. Yeah, that makes sense. On um, savings, so you know, cash flow is an issue, but savings and the war chest that people have been able to build up uh, over time is an important thing because that gives you runway to to see out unforeseen circumstances. What's your recommendation when it comes to an emergency fund for people? What sort of amount of money do you base it on? An ex- monthly, a number of monthly expenses, or do you base it on a number of uh, monthly income, uh, an income amount? How do you? What do you recommend to people? Good question. Look, I, I would typically uh, base it on a three to six months worth of expenses, including you know things like mortgage, school fees, uh, living expenses. Um, why? Well, because I think, you know, as, be, as is being highlighted today, you might find yourself in a position where for three to six months, your income might, might stop. Uh, and then obviously you need to be able to keep everything going. So I think three, three months as a minimum, six months ideal. Uh, and typically you'd be able to hold that in an offset account, for example, against your mortgage. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of banks nowadays offer more than one uh, offset account per, per mortgage. So I have a lot of clients where one of those offset accounts is their emergency funds. Um, another, re- another thing to look at, I guess, is if you have income protection and income protection policy, say if you have a 90-day waiting period on that income protection policy, then obviously you want to make sure that, that you can survive for three to four months without your income. And then thereafter, the income protection policy will kick in if, if you're unable to work due to illness or injury. Yeah, interesting on that point. Just with the income protection policy, so a lot of us are sold into 30-day waiting periods. Yeah. Is there a rough percentage of if you go from a 30-day waiting period to a to a 90-day waiting period? Is there a, what sort of percentage savings can someone uh, expect? It's, it's, it's hard to say because it's based on your age as well, but what I would say is that it is very significant. So if you look at the pricing of income protection policies, so the waiting period, uh, 30 days is obviously quite expensive. Uh, 60 days is not that much cheaper, but then 90 days makes a very big difference. And that's all based on statistics, obviously, and because there's actuaries that set the uh, insurance premiums. Uh, and so very few people, as a percentage, I guess, of all the claims would be uh, ill for more than three months, because obviously once you can't work for more than three months, it has to be quite quite severe. Uh, so we find where, where our clients have enough savings and enough sick leave, for example, as well, uh, through the public system, 90 days is, is 
quite an optimal point in terms of pricing. Uh, in, in the waiting period, you have to see that as, as a sort of uh, self-insurance uh, payment, so to speak. So just like you, you have uh, an excess on your home and, and contents and your car policy, that waiting period is, is essentially your excess. So how much are you willing to or able to self-insure? Uh, obviously, the more you're able to self-insure, then the less of your premium will be. Um, so I would say 90 days for a lot of people will, will be ideal from a pricing point of view, as long as they have obviously sufficient financial resources to, um, to tie them over for that long. Yeah, that's a great insight. I might be uh, looking at changing mine. How, it depends how long this uh, COVID crisis yes. lasts because yeah. that uh, emergency fund might be non-existent yeah. <laughs> and I might not be able to change it down to 30 days just in case. Yeah. Good. So that, that covers household um, cash flow. Let's move now to business cash flow. And really, there are two main groups of doctors that this affects. There's the sole traders who work and then pay a service fee to a, a third-party entity yeah. and business owners who are involved in the running of a group practice or a clinic. How can sole traders improve their cash flow? Um, well, sole traders, I guess, have one benefit that they typically don't have a lot of ongoing costs because like you said, you typically pay a service fee. Uh, and uh, obviously, if you're not working or earning an income, then that service fee will be non-existent. Um, another thing that we're seeing is that obviously uh, as, as a, um, a doctor or dentist in private practice, you will have ongoing tax obligations by way of your PYG installments every quarter. So we are seeing clients that are looking to defer those payments or go on to payment plans uh, with, with the ATO uh, just to ease the cash flow pressure over the next, next couple of months. Uh, Anecdotally, today, um, I just saw one client uh, that was on a payment plan uh, and you know they basically applied to the ATO for relief because the next six months are going to be quite tough for them. The ATO basically, and this is per individual, obviously, so we shouldn't generalize this, but just, just to sort of highlight what the ATO is, is potentially open to doing, they immediately basically deferred the payment plan for the next six months. So there, there would be no payments required on the tax debt. Uh, and then it looks like they will also remit all the interest uh, on that outstanding payment, uh, which means that it almost becomes a, a tax-free loan from, from the tax office. So what I would say is for, for those people um, whose income has completely stopped uh, and who might have ongoing tax obligations, obviously in the next couple of months, is to talk to your accountant uh, look at all the options. Uh, if you do need to enter in some sort of arrangement with the ATO, um, you know, don't don't delay that and, and get on the front foot um, because obviously that will save your cash flow. The tax will still be payable, but at least um, you will have some time to um, you know to to collect that money. The other thing, obviously, is if, if, if you're paying tax installments based on your income from last year and, and this year's income is going to be considerably less, uh, then you need to make sure that you, you revise your, your tax installments as well, um, because otherwise you might be overpaying your tax. That's a very good point. I think uh, yeah, most of us should have a conversation with our accountant if we haven't, haven't already. And how about the uh, business owners or the people that run the clinics? What are ways that they can... Uh, improve their clinics and the business cash flow? 
Yeah, that's that's a more tricky one, obviously, because um, you know there's typically a lot of ongoing costs um, in terms of you know business loans potentially, uh, obviously tax obligations as well, and then employee obligations. Uh, so tax obligations, I would say the same thing. Uh, look at you know whether there's ways or options to potentially defer some of that tax or or put it on a payment plan to to ease the cash flow pressure. Um, Talk to your bank again uh, about deferring, um, uh, you know, repayments on those business loans. And again, we've seen banks uh, being really uh, accommodating uh, in that respect. So pretty much all of our clients who've, who've approached their banks have been given the all clear to, to basically uh, do that, uh, which is great. Uh, and then in terms of your staffing, I guess that that's the critical thing. Um, you know, in terms of how much staff you want to hang on to or, or are able to hang on to. And obviously the, the, um, the government has come out with a third stimulus package today, which will sort of address that in terms of uh, a sort of a, a fortnightly co-payment uh, towards your, your staff's uh, wages, uh, as long as your, your revenue has dropped by, uh, by 30% or more, uh, which obviously will be the case for a lot of a lot of clinics, particularly dentists, uh, but potentially also, you know, uh, a lot of doctors in private practice. Yeah, which I just heard about that actually today. That's just hot off the press. I heard from a practice manager that uh, the government's really doing a lot to support uh, businesses keeping people employed and that's it's great and that's really made us breathe a sigh of relief because right now in our current practice we're uh, renovating and so we've moved out out of the rooms that we own yep. into a place that we're renting and so now that uh, renovation process is going to be extended probably you know 50 percent to 100 yes. percent longer than what we uh, expected with uh, a cash burn from uh, new rent that we never had to pay before yeah correct and look there's other stimulus measures there as well obviously the um you know, the uh, reimbursement of uh, PYG uh, tax uh, that you pay for your staff uh, over the next six months. Uh, a lot of our clients are also talking to their landlords uh, about um, some rent relief as well. Uh, some are more accommodating than others. Um, I should also talk about, uh, you know, um, doctors uh, and other healthcare practitioners that own their own rooms through their super fund. That, that's quite common as well. So I would say uh, just be really careful there to, to suspend or reduce any rental payments to your own super fund. Uh, seek advice first, um, because obviously when you're dealing with superannuation, the rules are quite strict. Uh, and I wouldn't want anyone getting in trouble um, by you know just cutting their rent to their super fund or, or reducing it significantly. Yeah, we've talked a lot about reducing expenses or putting expenses on hold. Um, are there any ways that you can think of that practices could increase their income during a time like this? Well, I think you know the the the, the buzzword you hear a lot nowadays is that that every business will have to reinvent itself, um, and you know I, I think to an extent that that's probably true. That will be easier for for some businesses compared to others. Uh, there's no doubt, I guess, that um, in the future, people will be looking to, to probably diversify their income streams where possible, um, because it has highlighted that a lot of people are, are overly reliant on, on one income source. Um, so, you know, like I said, easy, easier said than done, but I think every business will have to go through that, you know, through that phase uh, and, and, and look at, you know, is, is there any ways they can... Um, 
and they, they can future-proof their business. Obviously, telehealth, we see, uh, will, will probably become more, uh, more prevalent. Um, but again, that, that's not always, you know, not, not always possible for everyone. Um, but look, I think the main thing to do is now is, is control expenses uh, and, and then plan for the future, uh, plan for growth. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, that, that, that will take off fairly quickly once, once this is over. Excellent plan for growth. That's a that's a good way to think about it. I think. Well, Eves, that's been uh, great. Thank you for sharing your time and knowledge with us today. Um, you've given me a number of concepts to consider, and definitely a number of questions to ask my accountant and also my um, insurance broker as well. Before we go, can you tell us how you can help the listeners who don't have a financial advisor or potentially would like to seek a second opinion? Uh, we're looking in a number of ways. There's obviously a lot of free resources on uh, on our website, and I think you you will share that link uh, in in your uh, article. So there's there's a book that I've written uh, which which deals with all the financial issues that um, that doctors and dentists are faced with, uh, and a lot of that is common sense. It's all about planning, and I think hopefully what you know, what comes out of this crisis is that a lot of people realise that you know it's really critical to plan. Uh, and, and to seek advice at the, at the right point in time. Uh, but also, uh, my, my lines are always open, so um, I'll be sharing my, my personal mobile and email address. So if people have any particular questions or they want a second opinion, uh, they just want to talk to someone, um, they, they can contact me. Um, I have clients in the exact position as, as your listeners would be. Um, so I'm happy to share my thoughts and my experience um, because this is what I do every day. So you know we're we're right in the midst of it, uh, helping helping other healthcare practitioners. So happy to do whatever I can. Excellent, Eves. I'll definitely put those contact details, including your number and email address, along with uh, links to your website and some other uh, stuff you have in the show notes and on the blog. Thanks again for your time today, and uh, have a great week. No problem. Thank you, Andrew. I hope you learned something useful from today's podcast. To find out more about Eves, head over to my blog, medicalmoney.com, and you'll find his contact details and links to a number of resources that includes his video series, The Medical CFO. If you're interested in learning how to optimize your finances, please subscribe to this podcast. Also, head over to my blog, medicalmoney.com, and subscribe to stay updated. If you know a colleague who might also find this information useful, please share this with them. I'd love to get your feedback, so send questions, comments, and recommendations to me at andrew at medicalmoney.com. See you in the next episode.